Let's open with prayer. God, thank you for today, for, uh, wow, for the beauty of this day, for calling us here to worship you corporately today, for actually giving us another day when we can worship you. Go before us as we meet and greet today. Help us to understand, Lord, that we are yours, that we belong to you, that you've called us here to belong. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, on, the, on the screen here you see the... Uh, Building fund commitment, whatever stuff. As it stands right now, it looks like we're eighty-five hundred and six dollars away from being able to pay everybody every penny that we owe them. They'd probably like to get paid, you know. Um, I thought about putting seven dollars in to get it down under eighty-five hundred, but uh, then I thought, you know, this this is where it really is. So we'll just kind of go with this one today. Uh, no pressure, no nothing. Just know that it's still open. You're still welcome to give to the the building fund as we kind of move toward completion. I, I got ready to set my water bottle down on what is usually a uh, an amp that's back here, and it's gone. Um, I know that the process of moving has begun. I know that these lights go away tomorrow and uh, move out to the new building. And so sometime... One of these Easter's, we're going to be in out there, and I'm hoping it might be this one. It's honestly looking like now the the sixth of uh, April might be our date, but we will see. We'll see. Right, it's been this long. We can wait a couple more weeks. If it goes to Easter, we'll do it in the parking lot in tents, like an old time revival. It could be a lot of fun. We're in the midst of a series called "Looking for a Great Church." And I think I told you, in case you have not been here for some of the other um, elements in the series, that I kind of came up with this uh, title because on the back of Connect Cards, where we ask the question, uh, what brought you to Renovation Church today? Or it says something like that on the back side. Um, we were getting a lot of comments that said, looking for a new church, looking for a great church, looking for a good church, looking for a church home, looking, 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 looking. And I thought, well, there must be a theme here. Maybe we ought to talk about church. Maybe we ought to talk about what a great church is. And, and I think we've seen it's not numbers of people. That doesn't necessarily make a great church. It's not a great building. It's not how tall your steeple is that makes a church. Uh, we're talking about great people that belong in a church, and how do we become great people? Today's uh, last installment has to do with a church is a place to call home. A place to call home. This is a little uh, unnerving for some and a little unusual for us all the time, but I'm going to ask you to find some, stand up and find somebody around you that you don't know and say hello to them. Just greet them. Welcome them to Renovation Church. Maybe get to know their name. 
How you doing? I never did like that when people would ask us to do it in church, but I thought today it wouldn't matter. Hey, look, this isn't a family reunion. We can get back. <laughs> we'll carry on here. Thank you. And then I'm going to ask you, like we do in youth groups, uh, you've got a Connect card there somewhere that you were given, I hope. And I'm going to ask you to pull out your Connect card, hold it up over your head and shake it so I know that everybody's got a Connect card. Yeah, because we're going to use those in a little bit. We've got another one of these interactive services coming up, so I want you to have it handy. Just hang on to it. If you weren't here when I made the announcement first, if you're a first-time guest, we'd love for you to fill it out with as much information as you feel comfortable giving us. Don't give us stuff that you don't feel comfortable giving us. Some people don't like to give their birthday. That's okay. You don't have to do that. There's two things about the card that I want to draw your attention to down at the bottom on the front and the bottom right-hand side. It says, there's some boxes there, and it says first-time guest, second-time time guest, regular attender, some things like that. If you're a first-time guest, be sure to check that because we do want to know who our first-time attenders are. We found that people come to Renovation Church maybe for a week or two weeks in the summer, and then we never see them again till the next summer. And they come and visit for a couple of weeks, and, and they go away again, and we don't see them. And, and this seems to be a pattern, but now we're seeing that some of those people that came a couple of years in a row uh, retired or moved here, and they want to come to Renovation Church. So it's really important for us to know who the, who the first-time guests are as well. Um, this is really kind of the beginning, even though it's the last in the series, it's really kind of the beginning step. For some of you, it's been a long journey to get here, I know. And I don't mean in miles, I just mean in background. You know, maybe you've been walking with God for a long time, and maybe this is the first time that you've ever felt or ever considered that you might want to connect with the church in a, in a real way, in a personal way. Maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you just moved here from another city, and you don't really have a, a church home. You've been involved in church back there, wherever back there is, but you want to try to be involved in church here, and you didn't know where to go. We have a thing called partnership. It's in most churches they would call it membership, but partnership is what we call it. Membership kind of, to me, sounds like I'm signing my name on a little covenant agreement and, and I belong to a country club now and as long as I pay my dues, I can be a member of the country club. Now, I have to, might, might have to pay dues again next year or the following year, but as long as I've as long as I do that, I'm, I'm in. You know, I don't have to do anything else. But partnership kind of has the connotation of, well, let's roll up our sleeves and do a little work. Maybe we can work together in this thing that we call church. So we're going to talk a little more about partnership later on. The question, what brought you to Renovation Church, has been kind of playing on my mind the last couple of weeks. So I went to... 
the Connect cards that I, I have every Connect card that people have filled out since the church opened. Every one of them. And Karen thinks most of them are in the house. They're not. I have them in a storage unit somewhere else, too. But I, I went through and pulled out Connect cards just to kind of see over the years what people had indicated on their, on their Connect cards for that question, what brought you to Renovation Church? And I, I began to see common themes over the years. Um, what I have uh, captured here is maybe not, uh, some of these are exactly what the person said, but sometimes it may be three people that had an idea that was real close together, so I combined the three into a sentence to, to make it fit here. But I just wanted to read to you what the answers were to what brought you to Renovation Church. The first one says, I chose to come to Renovation Church because moving here from out of state, I knew that I needed to just come and find community. Another one said, we thought if we didn't get plugged in, we could get lost very quickly. Another, the second we stepped foot into Renovation Church, it was just kind of a different connection, something that made us feel welcome. I found a family at Renovation Church. The thing that separated Renovation from other churches was the fact that when I met people here, they were real. People in my Alpha group were real. People who live a normal life and they go to church because they need God. And since coming to Renovation, I felt so much closer to God than I was in many years before. I love what renovation stands for, be long before you believe. I can't remember the last time I was so overwhelmed by love and joy, and the room was just, uh, I, I don't know, there was an energy I haven't found in church anywhere else. It's the first place where it's been doctrinally sound that I feel comfortable enough that we can come back into the church and be a part of it again. I'm attending renovation because it touched me and in the last few months has really changed my life. I found that I could get plugged in and serve and think that I've grown more in the last six months than I've grown in my entire life and just feel like God really wants me to be here. I really like the aspect of Renovation Church that focuses on serving others. And this one's kind of like it. I love the focus that renovation has on getting out into the community. And this is the perfect place to do that. So I feel like joining renovation is making that commitment even more solid in my heart. And then the last one says, there's so many opportunities for me to give back to God here. That was some of the answers to that question. And on Sunday... April the 13th, that's Palm Sunday, on Sunday, April the 13th at 3 o'clock, we're going to have our next partnership discovery class, an opportunity for you to come, for you to hear what we're about, uh, what our vision is, what, what we do, why we do what we do, have, a que have an opportunity to ask questions, any questions that you want to ask, and there won't be any pressure 
but we'll have an opportunity where you could you know, sign your name and say, yeah, I want to be a partner with Renovation Church. Not a member, but a partner with Renovation Church. I think we have some sign-up sheets at the information table for that where you can sign up. We've been looking at what a great church looks like, and in doing so, um, I think we decided together that an important com component of a great church is the people, right? I told you this stupid little thing that we learned at Vacation Bible School, remember that? Where, where, we, where we took our hands and put our hands together like this, you know. You can do that. You can be stupid too. Put our hands together and say, this is the church. This is the... See all the people, yeah. yeah. So church is really about the people. Doesn't matter where you, where you look at a church in our community or anywhere else, it's about people. And a great church is about great people. The big idea for today and for each one of the weeks in the series has been the same thing. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission carried out with great compassion will grow a great church that will glorify a great God. Hadn't changed. And today what we're looking at as we finish this out is the idea of church, a great church requiring a great commitment, a great commitment from great people. It takes people getting plugged into the church. It takes people committing to serve, committing to grow, committing to, to give, not just money, but time and talents as well. Committing to attend, committing to be an alpha, committing to invite their friends, committing to become a partner with the church. Ultimately, what it means is making the church your home. Your home. Unfortunately, though, we live in a, in a world where the word commitment is kind of a dirty word. We don't want commitments. We don't like commitments. And the, certainly the last thing we want to do is make some big commitment to, to a church, of all things. Let's face it, we live in a society that's always sitting on the fence, deadly afraid of making any commitments. We're consumers. We like to shop, don't we? We like to go here, there, and yon, shop, 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 shop for everything. We can't even commit to watching one TV show at a time. We have to have a clicker there so we can go through, normally us guys, uh, go through and change the channels for the shows. I'm, I have a TV that has this wonderful little thing with a picture in a picture. So that cuts down on the clicking because I can watch this and watch this at the same. It's really, that's a, a great invention, whoever thought that thing up. We don't live in one place anymore for any length of time. We move from place to place. We, we don't work in a job for our entire lives. We're moving from job to job to job. We don't even commit to one person for our entire life. 
we're always moving from relationship to relationship, from marriage to marriage, looking for the next best thing without making any commitments along the way that might just tie us down. But I'm going to submit to you that that kind of lifestyle, that lifestyle that we just looked at of not committing to anything important, will ultimately lead to emptiness and a lack of fulfillment. Emptiness and a lack of fulfillment. See, God created you to give your life to something bigger than yourself, to something that matters, to something that makes a difference. We talked about that last week with compassion to something that's going to last forever. And Jesus only left one community here, one behind, to represent his presence to the world. And that's going to last forever, he says. And that community is called church. And he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Bible's quite clear. We all need a place to call home. And that place is the church. God doesn't want you to be lonely. In fact, he's given us a solution to loneliness, and we find it in Scripture in Psalm 68, verse 6, which says, God places the lonely in families he knows that we're lonely. He knows that we tend to be lonely. We may say, oh, I want to be by myself, but I don't think any of us want to be by ourselves for ever. He gave Adam a partner. He expects each of us to have people around us. We all need a spiritual family, and we all need a spiritual home here in Little River, South Carolina, or Long, South Carolina, wherever it is. So today we're going to take a look at what many people call the greatest story ever told. In the Bible, Luke chapter 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. I think we've taught on this before. Maybe Walt was the one that, that actually uh, had it last time. So what's happening in this story? Well, some religious leaders have come up to Jesus and they've accused him of hanging out with these despicable people, these uh, sinners and, and tax collectors. They were just absolutely despicable. And the, and the religious leaders are wondering, well, why in the world is he hanging out with that type of people? Why isn't he hanging around with religious people? And to answer the question, Jesus tells them a story, the story, the parable, I guess, of the prodigal son. So let's read it together. Uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent 
everything, there was a severe drought in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. See, he was absolutely desolate. He was absolutely destitute. And that's how the story begins, in the pits of desolation, in the pits of despair, in the pits of need. And I think there's three reasons why you need to commit to a spiritual home that we can get out of this story of the prodigal son. Who is it in this area, this community, that you can run to for help? Who is it that you can depend on when you really, really, really need help? The fact of the matter is most of us don't have family, immediate family here in this area. Most of us have moved from someplace else where our family is. Some rare uh, exceptions, but that's usually the way it is. In fact, God says that we need a place of refuge to turn to. A place of refuge in times of trouble. He even set up in the Old Testament, devised a system for these cities of refuge, as he calls them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, you don't have to turn there and it's not on the screen, but in verse 41, God says, you must, talking to Moses, you must set apart three cities of refuge in the land the Lord your God is giving you to occupy. And the idea was if somebody was coming after you, if somebody was trying to get you or to kill you because you owed a debt or you'd killed somebody else in self-defense or they were just out for revenge, you could go to one of these three cities, and it even lists those three cities in Deuteronomy, and nobody could touch you. It was a safe haven. It was a refuge. It was a sanctuary. They would give you protection no matter what, no questions asked, until the truth was found out, until justice was served. This was your place of refuge. I looked up in the dictionary what refuge means, and, and there were two definitions. The first one is kind of... Uh, um, well, it's, it's, it's not something that... I, uh, really relates to us, but it's probably the definition that most people think of when they think of refuge. That's the way I'd put it. A shelter or protection from danger or distress. That's a refuge. Shelter or protection in times of distress. But the one I really focused in on was, I think, the third definition for refuge. It says, a place to which one can turn in a time of difficulty. Where do you turn in a time of difficulty. Where is your refuge in this community? And all of us here know that the world can be tough, can be uncaring, can be uncompassionate, don't care about us at all. From time to time, all of our lives have suffered. When our careers have faltered or failed, our relationships have ended, the ones that we love die. When our health begins to go downhill, 
when we begin to struggle financially. It can happen at any stage of life. Times when we really need someone to help. And that's why here at Renovation Church, we want to be a place of refuge for the community. A home where you can turn to and receive encouragement instead of discouragement. A place where you can receive comfort instead of criticism or condemnation during the tough times. Where there's people that lift you up instead of tearing you down. Paul, in talking about the church, in Romans 15, 2, says this. It's from the Message Translation. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? How can I help? Now, that's pretty radical. That's pretty countercultural for where we are today. Looking around, looking at the people around you here, looking at the people out there going up and down Highway 17 or driving through McDonald's, drive through window, and saying, how can I help them? How can I make a difference in their lives? Me, individually, how can that happen? The world operates on this totally different paradigm than that. It's every man for himself. We're, we're brought up from the time we're toddlers to understand that if we're not looking out for ourselves, nobody else is going to look out for us. Each man for himself. But God doesn't want us to operate that way. That's the way everybody else operates. And that's my challenge to us as a church, to always be a place where renovators and others can, can turn for help and support, to be a place of refuge, to always be looking at people and problems around us, wherever they might be, and saying, how can I help? Can we make a difference? Is there anything we can do? So do you have a place of refuge in Little River where you can turn for help? Number two is love. The second reason I need a spiritual home is home is a place where I can receive unconditional love. The prodigal son's thoughts turn to home. He knows he's in a lot of trouble in that other country, and he thinks about coming home even after he has taken that inheritance, even after he disowned his family, even after he squandered a third of the entire inheritance for the family, he decides, I should head home. I should head home. Because he's at the end of his rope. I think that's the only reason he made that decision. And I want you to listen and kind of try to understand his thought process as he goes through this. It says... When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have food enough to spare, and, and here I am dying from hunger. I'll go home to my father, and I'll say this. We find it in Luke fifteen eighteen, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. That was his plan. He thought it would work, but then I want you to see what his father had to say in response. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw open his arms, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's not the response I expected the father to give him. It's probably not the response I would give. I expected the father to be upset. And he had every right to be upset. And I think that's real important. The father had every right to be upset with his son. But that's not the response he gave. He didn't reject him. The son was doing what we've all done, haven't we? Maybe when we were teenagers, we were late for curfew, and we were trying our best to come up with a good story. Not only a good excuse, but something that might elicit compassion out of our parents. Oh, they'd feel sorry for us, you know. Not only would they forget about what we had done, but they would feel sorry for us. He was trying to think of something that would make his father take him back, and then wham, this happens. Before he even gets home, and I, I see this picture of a, of a father sitting, <clears throat> let's say, in a recliner, looking out through the front picture window out across uh, uh, a field somewhere. And far, far away at the other end of the field, he sees his son. I think that's my son. Looks like my son. Walks like my son. <clears throat> and he starts running. He doesn't wait for his son to get there. He starts running toward him with open arms. The son did not deserve that kind of reception. He didn't. He deserved worse. He had turned his back on the family. He had taken a third of the inheritance, and he had squandered it on live, a wild living. But the father so overwhelmed by seeing his son way off in the distance that he's filled up with joy and compassion at his son's return. And he runs toward him with overflowing affection and overflowing compassion and with unconditional love. That's what un unconditional love is. Totally unexpected. Totally unmerited. Loving someone for who they are. Not for what they've done. Not for what they're going to do. Not for what they could do. And if we're quite honest with each other here, every single one of us in here at some time or other has messed up, have we not? Messed up our lives. Messed up our relationships. We don't need any more of those relationships where we're loved only as long as we produce something of value for the other person. 
What kind of relationship is that? As long as we're performing well, we can be loved. We need those relationships where we're loved and valued for, well, for who we are. No matter how we look, no matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times we disappoint ourselves and the, the others around us, no matter how many times we sin. In fact, we need to look at why Jesus was telling the story in the first place to his, to his listeners. It's kind of interesting. I told you that it's in the context of these religious leaders that came up to him to, to uh, kind of condemn him for hanging around with despicable characters. And Jesus told him this story, this parable of the prodigal son, yes, but he, in Luke chapter 15, he told, told him three stories, three parables. The first parable, the first story was of a shepherd that had a hundred sheep. One of the sheep <clears throat> wandered off, just like the prodigal son, wandered off, got himself lost out there somewhere. And the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep behind and goes out in search of the one lost sheep. And when he finds him, you know what he does? He has a party. They throw a party. The second story is about an older woman who has 10 coins, probably the last 10 coins to her name, and she drops one of them in the dirt and loses it. And she's down on hands and knees looking for that lost coin. And when she finds it, do you know what she does? She has a party. <laughs> and then we have this final story of this lost son. Turns his back on his father, leaves home takes off, runs out of money, comes back home. Father accepts him with open arms, and guess what? They have a party. It seems that God loves parties. He loves to throw parties. As you can see, in, in God's eyes, each one of us, each one of you, is of value. You don't search for things that are not of value. You don't even call things lost if they're not of value. They have to have value. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that every person is valuable in God's eyes, even when we turn our backs on God, even when we run away from God, even when we curse God. We're still valuable to him. He, he still deserves nothing more than for us to turn around, that picture, turn around, and to come home. That's what he desires of us. And when we do, guess what? He's always there with his arms wide open to welcome us home. Unconditional love. But I do think God does expect something from you. I think he expects you to love other people with the same unconditional love that he gives to you. 
Remember the great commandment, love God, love others. Love God, love others. He expects us to love others as much as, as we love him. Unconditionally. 1 John 3.18 from the New Living Translation says, Dear children, let us stop just saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. Are we just saying we love the unlovely? Are we really doing something about it? This is the kind of community that I desire for us to have here at Renovation. Not just saying we love people, but showing it by our actions through everything that we do. Loving other people as God loves us. And I hope that Renovation Church is the place where you can love unconditionally. I hope it's the place where you can be loved unconditionally. And I guess I need to clarify this before we go on. That doesn't mean that we love sin. It has nothing to do with loving sin. We hate sin because God hates sin. But we love each person unconditionally. And we have to show that through our actions. And if you've never experienced that kind of love, the kind of love that God has for you, it's, it's really the kind of love that you can experience when you come home to Him. Come home to a church. Make a church your home. His love is amazing. So we're talking about a spiritual home. We said home is a place where you can run to for help. Home is a place where you can be loved unconditionally. But there's something else that we all need in a home, and that is identity. Identity. Home is the place where I can find my identity. You see, your home has a lot to do with your identity, I think, with who you are. It's where you get your name. Your last name comes from home. I remember a quote from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. It says, what's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. I mean, you could call it petunia. And it'd still smell great. But that's kind of true. What's in a name? It smells sweet. But your name is important. It indicates where you came from. It indicates what your identity is, who you are. In the Bible, most people were given names that had some sort of uh, uh, names that revealed their characters. Name, I don't know whether the name was what they had to live up to or whether the names were devised beforehand and their characters happened to fit the name. But you can read person after person after person in the Bible that their name was really who they were. Home is a place where you receive your name, where you receive your identity. And notice what happens when this younger son comes home. Back in uh, chapter 15, verse 8, we kind of pick it up there. 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's what the son thought. He didn't think he was worthy to be called the father's son because of the things he had done. He was having an identity crisis. Now, I hope I'm not giving away confidential information here, but the group, the 25 that is at Fort Caswell, well, they're away from there now, but has been there this weekend um, for Holy Spirit weekend, was remarkable in that God had put a whole group of people together. They didn't know one another before they came to Alpha, but they, every one, were having identity problems. They had identity crises in their lives. They didn't know who they were. Many of them, I mean many of them, had problems with their fathers, abuse and mistreatment and just verbal, just awful stuff that were, were being said. Same with the with uh, mothers, mothers telling their children all sorts of things that mothers should never say to a child. And they found out when they came together that here was a whole group of people that for some reason or other had been assembled up there at Fort Caswell for this weekend. We had no idea what was in their luggage when they showed up, but they had some extra bags that they took with them. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, most of that stuff was thrown out. They've come, they will come back here different people because of the encounter they had with the Holy Spirit. And the father responded to this son saying he wasn't worthy by saying in verse 22, Father said to his servants, Quick, bring me the finest robe and put on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. There's the party. And celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father completely ignored what the son had said about, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He didn't pay any attention to that. He proceeded to give his son four things. Four things that we see in the scripture here. Four gifts of great importance. The first thing that he gives him is the finest robe. You wouldn't give a robe to just anybody that comes in your house. And this wouldn't be a bathrobe I'm talking about. This is a fancy-dancy robe out of fine material. Uh, and it wasn't just a robe that he gave to him. He gave him the finest robe in the house. You only do that for someone of great honor when they come into your house. The second is he killed the fattest calf. Now, I don't know how many of you eat meat. Mm. Whether you like steaks or not, but what, if I'm picking out a steak, I want to pick out a steak that's got a lot of marble in it. I want to see a lot of fat in there because that's where the flavor comes from. The flavor's released in the meat. The fattest calf had the best flavor. 
That's a sign that the Son is, that the son is someone of great significance, great importance. The third thing is the Father gives him some shoes. We think, well, some, some sandals? But shoes were important because shoes said this guy's a member of the family, not a slave. Slaves didn't have shoes. They didn't wear shoes. But if you had shoes on, you were a member of the family. And the most important thing, and often the, most, the, the thing that's most overlooked in this little story, is a ring. The father gives him a ring. In ancient times, the, the family ring signified power and authority and identity. It was, it was not unlike a power of attorney today where you have to pick and choose very carefully the people that you would give power of attorney to because they have rights to everything. In, they have rights to your life, actually, don't they? in a medical sense. They have rights to everything. But this father, this father, the son had just returned after blowing a third of the father's estate, and the father gives him power over the entire estate. I mean, he just screwed up, and the father's going to give him the other two-thirds? In ancient times, the, the king would send a letter, and it wouldn't be in envelopes. They didn't have envelopes as such, but they would fold the paper so that it would end up having a flap, and the flap would go down. You'd melt wax on that flap, and then the, um, the king or you know, whoever the person of importance would be would take his ring, a signet ring, and impress that signet ring into the wax. And when he took it away, there would be a symbol there that would stand for that family, that person. So anybody receiving that letter without even opening the letter could look at this and they wouldn't know who the letter was from. So this ring was a sign of identity. It would give him authority. It would give him identity. He was a son, not a servant. It didn't matter to the father what he had done. He was still his son. And I guess today what I want you to really know is that you are, you are somebody. You're important to God. It doesn't matter what state you come from. I don't, I don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter where you, where you have come from. Doesn't matter what your family situation is or what your family situation was. Doesn't matter what your job is. Doesn't matter who you're married to or not married to, what people say about you or think about you. None of that matters. It's all superficial stuff. Your identity is much deeper than any of those things. The Bible makes it clear that each of us We've talked about this many times. Each of us was created by and belonged to God. Each one of us. We're his children created in his image. And you know what? Our ultimate home is with him. But he's given us this community in the meantime 
to be a part of. That's who you are. That's where you belong. You're his child. And unfortunately, we find ourselves separated from God at some point or many points in our lives because of the things we have done. Doesn't mean that he loves us less, but we feel like the relationship is much less. We choose to leave him just like this son chose to leave his father. We choose to turn our backs on him just as this son turned his back on his father and went off on his own. And we think we can, we can conquer the world. It's all ours, you know. I want to do what I want to do and I don't care what anybody else says. We've chosen a pathway away from God. We've done things that against his will. We've, we've personally separated ourselves from God. And we're missing that most important element of all, that relationship with our Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's who we all are. And I imagine many of you can attest to this. Those times that we feel like we are so successful, the numbers are there on the page, and look what I've done. Look at this bottom line. Isn't this bottom line great? Yet we feel so empty. We feel like there's a lack of fulfillment in our lives. What's missing? What's missing? No matter what we get, no matter how many degrees we get, there's always something missing in this life. But the good news is it's never too late to come home. It's never too late to come home. That's why Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's why Jesus established the church for us. That's why he told us parable about the prodigal son. So we could understand that each and every one of us here could be reconciled to God and be a part of this family that he's putting together. This is his idea. It's not our idea. It's his idea. Ephesians 2.19 says, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We are his children. He loves you. You're no longer separated. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anybody else. As much right to the name Christian as Billy Graham has. And I think if we were to take one message away from this parable of the prodigal son, it would be this that we could personalize. I can come home today. I can. I can come home today. No matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, you can be made right today with a relationship to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, sometime we're going to stand before Him. 
at the end of our lives. And you're not going to be identified by how much money you made or how many degrees are hanging on your wall or what your IQ is or what you look like or what good things you did or, or even how famous you are. None of those things matter a whit. You're going to be identified by whom you belong to. That's your identity. Come home. Be accepted by Christ. And you'll be identified as a child of God. And heaven will be your home throughout eternity. He's going to prepare a place for us. We don't think we're worthy. And, and you know what? We're not worthy. You and I aren't worthy. We don't think we are anybody. But I wish I could go to each one of you here and grab your little fat cheeks like this and say, you are somebody. You do matter. Do you know how important you are to God? That's the final reason you need a spiritual home. You need to be reminded who you are and how important you are. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. I love the way that's put in the New Living Translation. Don't get cozy here. Don't get too comfortable because this is just kind of a place that we are for a little while. Home is there. So my challenge to you as a church is, if you're sitting on the fence, don't waste your life that way. Don't waste your life sitting on the sidelines watching the game take place and going, yay! Don't be afraid to begin a relationship with God. Don't be afraid to commit to a spiritual home, a church. Whether it's a renovation church or some other church, just get connected. It's what the church, capital C Church, is all about a place for you to get connected, a place to have a family. Don't be afraid to love others. Don't be afraid to serve others. That's what we're called to do. Remember, it takes a commitment. It takes a, a great commitment to be a person that God created you to be. Now, if you pull that Connect card out, we can go to the back side where it says next steps or next step today or my next step today or I'm going to do this or something. I don't know what words I put down there, but it's where the next steps are. I thought of a few, and then you can add whatever you want to. Maybe if you wanted to make it simple, one thing you could commit to doing is reading the entire prodigal son parable this week. Just pull it out and read the whole thing. Now that you know what the little parts are about, it might, might make a whole lot more sense. And if that's what you commit to do, if that's your next step, one of your next steps, on your little card there, write, read, read. And I'll know what you're talking about. Second next step might be something like this. You find yourself here today kind of like the prodigal son. You've been separated from 
your heavenly Father for a long time, and you don't remember who you are or who you're supposed to be, but you know that right now, God wants you to come home to him. You need to take a step to begin a relationship with him. If that's you, then I would write relationship as the next step on the card. And the third step might be this. If you decided that today, or you decided today to really recommit your life to him, to reconnect with God, begin anew a relationship with him, and you're taking that step today, we're having a baptism on Easter Sunday. We haven't done this before. There's no space to do it. I think we might have space to do it this Easter. The ancient church used to have baptisms on Easter. It was the time when all the new members would come together, the new believers would come together and be baptized. Because what we're celebrating at Easter is Jesus' death and burial and his resurrection. So it all kind of goes together at Easter time. If you would like to be a part of that baptism, maybe you've made a profession of faith since you grew up. You might have been baptized. We had, a, we had quite a few people on the retreat that uh, grew up in the Catholic Church, and they were baptized as infants, and they don't remember anything about it. But they really want to be baptized now because they've made a profession of faith. If, that, if you're like that, I'm happy to do it. And Easter is the time that we could make it happen. So write baptism on your card, and I'll make sure you get some information about that. I think there's sign-up sheets back here for all these as well. Fourth step would be the habits class, habits of the Christ follower. You know, so often we stand up in church and we say, hey, you guys need to read this. This is the Bible. You need to read it and understand it. You know, it's good for you. Change your life. But we don't tell you how to read it. We don't tell you where to start or where to stop or how to study it, how to memorize it, how to apply it to your life. And in the habits class, that's what we look at, all those things, plus more. How do you, how do you pray and why do you pray? What is quiet time? I mean, is that different than Bible study and, and prayer, or is it the same thing? Uh, uh, giving is in there, not just not just not just giving money, but giving of your time and talents. A fellowship. Why do we come together? Why is it important for us as Christians to come together? You hear those people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I just go out in the backyard and worship God. Why does God call us together as a group? That would be the habits class. Uh, the next step might be Financial Peace University, the Dave Ramsey course that we'll be running after Easter. The dates have not been determined on either of these two, but we have sign-up sheets for them there so we can get materials ready for them. An opportunity for you to find out what a budget is. Ugh, we, none of us like budgets. An opportunity for you to say, dollars in my pocket, I'm going to tell you where to go instead of you telling me where you're going to go. And it might be amazing to see what you can do if you get in control of your dollars. 
Don't forget the partnership discovery class on April the 13th. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, never changing, ever true. Thank you for the stories that Jesus told, the parables that he told, to remind us of spiritual impacts on our life, our lives. We thank you that you have told us that you're there with open arms, waiting to receive us at any time that we might decide to come back to you. Don't let anyone here think they're unworthy. None of us is worthy, but all of us are loved conditionally. Church is a place where we can run for help. Church is a place where we can find unconditional love. The church is a place where I can discover my identity. In Jesus' name, amen.